listening to Black Mirror Reflections, a podcast thinking through the technology, philosophy, morality, and politics of the series Black Mirror. Welcome back to Black Mirror Reflections. Today I'm joined by John Tory to talk about Hang the DJ, the fourth episode of the fourth season of Black Mirror, which premiered in 2017. Dr. John Tory is Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the State University of New York, Buffalo, where he specializes in ethics, Africana philosophy, and political philosophy. Now, John is a real public philosopher, and he actually developed a nonprofit organization to stimulate critical thinking for Black youth while he was in college, and he led an outreach program that does pre-college philosophy lessons with K-12 through students while he was a graduate student. Since then, he's managed small groups during summer internships, and he's participated in a number of diversity recruiting initiatives. Now, John and I are also old friends, having spent many a late night shooting pool in Memphis dive bars. And so I'm really excited about connecting with him again today to talk about Hang the DJ. So welcome, John. Thank you, Lee. I remember you took a dope picture of me shooting a pool cue. I had a great angle and everything. I ran across the other day and was thinking of you. So yes, fun late night. (laughs) Glad to be able to convene with you, even through the Zoom medium. Nice to see you again. It's been a long time. So thank you for having me on here. Yeah, no, it's great. And let me just tell you listeners that the pictures of him shooting pool are a lot better than he actually is shooting pools. (laughs) That was years ago. I'm I'm a little bit better now. I was rusty back then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, John. So I'm actually going to shake things up a little bit in this episode. So regular listeners of this podcast know that normally how we start is I ask the guests to summarize the Black Mirror episode. However, I am really interested in your public philosophy work. And so I was wondering if maybe you could just talk a little bit about these programs, both the pre-college programs and the diversity initiatives that you've been working on. I I really appreciate uh, being able to do that, Lee. So in graduate school, we had the Philosophical Horizons program at the University of Memphis, started originally by Michael Burroughs and a couple of other graduate students who have been active. So Mike's, I think, at Cal State uh, Bakersfield now, and he's doing more pre-college philosophy programming uh, as part of his work and a more public philosophy programming. So it's been really dope to be able to fall in that kind of stride after other people who've been able to do that work. So with Philosophical Horizons, we went into various classrooms across Memphis city schools, both public, private, charter, and we did philosophical lessons, right? Like, so we did Socratic dialogues. What's really been cool about uh, doing pre-college philosophy is you can use children's books of all kinds, right? So you get to go in and work with students and talk with them about the stuff that's meaningful to them. Like, what is friendship? Whether you're in third grade or a senior in high school, you're trying to figure out what friendship means because these are important people in your world. So why are they important? What what makes them valuable? What kinds of responsibilities or duties do I have to them, right? These are questions they're thinking about. So we get to provide a form for them to entertain more of that. So doing that work and I guess originally in college doing the like character education kind of training and a youth program that was next to the AUC, the, the Atlanta University Center. So it was it was really wonderful to be able to do that stuff with my with my classmates, and, we're, and a lot of us are still good friends today, and many of us work in education. 
I, I say all that to say it's been uh, part of how I do this. This work is to get in with the people. It's not supposed to be an ivory tower game. I, I always used to say, I don't want to write something for five people to go, oh, that's really great. I'd like to do stuff that tries to affect the, the world at large where possible. In particular, my thing is I want to give students critical thinking skills, right? The, the more, the better you can think, the better you can think about the world you're in, try to provide ways to fix the problems, try to, try to see problems we're not seeing. I really am glad to see so many people that I know and shout out to University of Memphis. A lot of them are uh, tigers, but yeah, getting out there and doing that real important public philosophy work. Okay. But now back to your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> Let's talk about Hang the DJ. So like I said, at the beginning of every episode, I asked my guests to summarize the Black Mirror episode that we're going to talk about. So could you summarize Hang the DJ? Yes. Should I give a spoiler alert here in this summary or? No, I think that our podcast listeners know that it's the whole thing is spoiled <laughs> like okay. once they push play. Make sure I double check here on the explanation. Okay, good to go. So the two main characters here are Frank and Amy, and they meet via a dating app of sorts. So there's this small round disc machine, we'll say like a handheld device. And when it beeps, you've got a match. So if you've been on a dating app, you've had this experience being, you know what to do. Instead of going to say, having to do all the rigmarole of the talking, you have a date already set up. So Frank and Amy meet at a restaurant. And of course, it's a similar kind of awkward first date that you might see. I think Frank gets up kind of awkwardly you know, to greet her and they have awkward conversation of sorts, but they get through it. And we find out the customs for how the, the dating world works here. After the date, they go to what would be basically called a, a love shack of sorts, right? They have a nice designed place for the two of them to go and, well, find out more about, the, yeah, find out a little bit more about <laughs> each other, right? And on the first date, they've got the jitters, we might say. They end up laying in bed, holding hands next to each other, and nothing happens, they, Confess afterwards that you could have gotten it and yeah, you could have gotten it too. Uh, <laughs> but one thing that happens at the date is they both pull out those, those handheld devices and they both ask for the expiration date, which is when their relationship effectively will end. So they find out they've got 12 hours together. So they, they eat dinner a little bit faster. And at the end of the 12 hours, they leave the shack. They part ways onto effectively another relationship. So the next time you get a bing on the handheld device, you have a date. And while you're on that date, you effectively check your expiration date to see how long you'd be with that person. So the next time for Frank and Amy, they both get a bing. Amy ends up with a suave man who come to find out they'll be matched together for nine months. And Frank runs into a woman who's a bit cold to him, we might say. <laughs> not, not so pleased that she's, <laughs> he's her match. And they have to be together for a year. We end up watching the relationships unfold through both Frank and Amy's eyes. And important to remember about this handheld device is it's called Coach. And you can ask Coach questions. And Coach is also recording all of your reactions and recording everything you're doing and thinking in real time. So they're grabbing everything they can to develop an appropriate profile for you. And we come to find out that Coach is a part of this system. And the system is designed to help you meet your ultimate match, meet who you're supposed to meet, the one. So the expiration date is a way to learn more and have an experience to try to be prepared for the one. 
So Frank finishes his year. And as you might think with someone who's not fond of you, it's a tough year. Amy finishes her nine months. And while it was a bit of a torrid nine months sexually, you could tell for her that there was something lacking in the connection, right? Uh, It just... It wasn't something that he did. It was more so who he wasn't. That just seemed to be how it came across. And so after that, Amy gets, I think, a set of kind of of brief flings lasting 36 hours. So she gets a little bit of time and a little bit of time. And while she's having fun, poor Frank is still enduring his year. His year ends and Amy's set of 36 hour flings wrap up and they end up rematching. So they go on another date and they agree at the date. Let's not look at our expiration date, right? One thing we figured out here is these expiration dates are, (laughs) they're getting us in some trouble. Why don't we both agree not to look at it? So they shake on it. They don't look at it. And they start to live a a really nice, fulfilling relationship for the two of them, where they're getting to be with the person who they both wanted to be with. Amy was longing for Frank while she was having those short-lived flings. And Frank was wishing the whole time that he could have Amy when he was with, well, his 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 ice His ice ice queen. I want to say it, but that's what it was. I mean, down to the, down to the fa- I mean, like she didn't look at him with a with an ounce of care and humility. I mean, it was just you're this guy I have to deal with for a year, right? Uh, so they end up having some fun together and they're living a good life. And Frank keeps getting the itch because he wants to know: Is she the one? Is this it? So while Amy's asleep, Frank goes and he asks Coach, "Hey, should I check this?" And Coach says, "Do you want me to convince you not to?" "Yes, no." I- no, I want you to tell me. So he ends up finding out their expiration date, says five years. And he's like, relieved. Great. I get, that's a lot of time. Then coach starts messing up and starts recalibrating. And very quickly he finds out because he looked at it without her, it ends up messing up the, the expiration date. And so it goes from five years to, I believe, 20 hours. And mm-hmm. of course he can't bring himself to confess what he's done until there's about an hour left. And in part, because Amy's able to sense something's up and she's furious with him uh, that he did this and withheld this from her. So they separate and Amy ends up rematching and going through the relationship phase with another person. We're Meanwhile, Frank is going through it when you lose the one you think that might be the one. One of those moments where you end up realizing how deeply he's in with her is that while he's having sex with somebody else, he asks the woman specifically, can I think of her while I'm having sex with you? And she says, as long as I can think of the other guy who broke my heart too. So, Ouch. You know, he's going through it. And, and in a similar way, so is she just, it's a, I might say it's a different kind of heartbreak. So she ends up seeing that she gets her final match. That's how this thing wraps up. So she's done the dating and the coach tells her, hey, you get to meet up with your ultimate match. We figured it out. We've got who it is. You'll meet him tomorrow. You get to say bye-bye to whoever you'd like. Immediately she goes, Frank, Amy, I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't wait to see Frank. Turns out the same has happened for Frank. So they both end up meeting at the first place that they had their date at. And Amy is convinced that we should leave. It's a test. This is all a test of our love to see if we're real and we should bolt. Now, mind you, I, I, I forgot to mention this. Frank said the same thing when they initially, when he initially revealed, we've only got the hour left. Uh, how, how profane can I get? Go ahead. He said, we tell, gotta it, fuck- tell it like it is. So we got to fuck it all, right? Like we have to go. And she was more, I suppose, taken aback at the, the betrayal. Like I said, we said we wouldn't do this, wasn't willing to go. We get to the end line. This is a test. And she says explicitly, this is a test. And for us to pass this test, we got to get the hell out of here. And he goes, okay, we, let's fuck it all. We got to roll. So they try to escape, come to find out they are one of a thousand different simulations between those two people. And on 998 of those sims, they all rebelled. 
So we end up getting uh, a screen that shows a 99.8% match on the real life dating app. And both of them are inside a bar and realize that they just match with each other. And eyes meet. And I think we can imagine what happens after. Yeah, and we see this sort of sci-fi kind of swirling up of all of the Sims into some kind of universal con- constellation or something at the end. Well, that tripped me out. I'm glad you mentioned. I'd forgotten about the orbs. I was just like, I'm, they, first they all melt around you, and then you're like, what? Then they all become big orbs. You go, Jesus, Pete, what's happening? So I kind of want to start off with the really obvious question, going all the way back to the symposium. Of, do we each have a one? I mean... I'm inclined to go, there's a way to find a one. I don't know if there is an explicit one. But one of the things that I really liked about the show was the system is a way of trying to throw your hands up, right? Pre- it's a, this is predetermined in some sort of way, and you just play it out. In a way, that's no different than when people say, well, God's going to find my person for me, right? I mean, we, you, you're in Memphis. We've been, we've been in the Bible Belt for a while. You hear people say, I, I'll pray on it. I'll find them. It's in, in a way, it's kind of a belief in the system that it will provide for you. And in some ways, I think that's it's a comforting belief for a number of people. And it might be the truth. I'm inclined, though, to think that what happens here when tech tells you that this person might be the one, that, that there may be a difference in terms of how we understand that same like predetermination? I think it's really hard. I think that a lot of people are unjustifiably skeptical of these compatibility algorithms. The reason I say unjustifiably skeptical is A, they do work a lot, right? Like they do work. And B, I think that people think of themselves as not predictable and calculable and datafiable in ways that it's just naive to think that intelligent machine learning system can't, in fact, make basically a map of you and map it with someone else. Look at our Facebook profiles. Facebook has figured out exactly who you are. You can go into your individual settings and they'll tell you if you're liberal, what kind of interests you've got. Google follows us, everything. If we're not cognizant of the fact that even if we think we are uh, unpredictable, that it's still being mapped and tracked in a way that we can now calculate for that unpredictability you've got. Right, we're foolish. Like the big brother's real. We're just okay with it. Just that's the difference. I just, so we would be remiss to think that's not the case. I sort of thought when I saw this episode for the first time, as the, you know, initial story unfolded, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a story about emotionally stunted millennials. But it actually, interestingly, wasn't. I mean, they weren't emotionally stunted. They just seemed to be people who had finally reconciled themselves with the facts that I think a lot of people right now in this moment of history that we're in right now know is true, but don't want to reconcile themselves with, which is that a lot of times these behavioral algorithms, right, behavioral biometrics, et cetera, actually know us better than we know ourselves, that our actions and our patterns say things about us that we might not say of ourselves. Which it's it's a weird thing to think of, but like the machine might be like your friend, but it's the hidden friend that you're always talking to, but doesn't have to talk back to you, but they're picking up everything about you in a way that we should I'm glad you said it's unjustifiable in that way. Like match.com works for a reason. They don't say that they don't get these things 
Matchmakers work for a reason. There's a thing about being able to develop a profile of who you are from the external, right? Like I, I, I might say, I really like A, B, and C, but it might actually be better for me if I'm having D, E, and F. I might right. not say I want D, E, and F, but if D, E, and F is in front of me, I'm probably going to be okay with that. I'll be like, oh, didn't know I liked that. Didn't know that was good. And so it strikes me that the having more access to those algorithms. And so in some way, it makes me a little like cons- that the machine could make a choice for you is I don't want to take away agency by any means. And I don't think that I don't think it is being well, that is something to think about here. It seems like agency is very much removed inside the system. It is so on social on on, t- on something like Tinder, you can swipe right on everybody and choose who you want to go on a date with. In this system, they have just selected your date for you and you and the time of stay with that person. That is something interesting on the agency side there. But the idea of not being able to break the machine, so to speak. So I, I remember Amy and Frank were talking about their belief in the system. And Amy was like, well, the system might just be beating us up so that we end up settling for whoever's left. And there's something to perhaps be said for being willing to break that system when they're going, fuck it all, we're going to get out of here. Okay, so I have a question for you then. We're controlled by lots of systems. I mean, let's just say our genetic predispositions, right? And we don't think that my agency is being taken away from me. So like if I'm lactose intolerant, I'm just lactose intolerant. I shouldn't drink milk. It's not that I can't still drink milk, but the system says don't drink milk. And if I want to be happy and if I want to be healthy, I should not drink milk or at least not milk that has lactose in it, right? That seems to me not an invasion of my agency. And I can't imagine that 10 years, 20 years, I mean, probably more like five years in the future that your children will say to you, wait a minute, you did what when you dated? You just dated people on the basis of how they look or the fact that they live near you or that you went to school with them or that you shared a job. All these really terrible metrics for choosing a a mate, a partner, right? Uh, And they'll be like, what was wrong with you, dad? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, it's, it's the same way for, you know, my parents, how in the hell are you meeting someone on the internet? Because when I grew up, internet is stra- stranger danger. You can't meet people on the internet. You should be nervous about this. A decade later, it's, you, you can find your wife on the internet these days. That's a real scenario. What is it? You don't want to say you met on Tinder, so you tell them you met on Bumble. I get it. I make it work how you have to. But it's, it is a, it's a reflection of the generational shifts in dating that are advanced because of technology. So yeah. 50 years yeah. ago, cross-country phone calls, you were making a financial investment to maintain a long-distance relationship uh, via phone calls. So you better hope that your letters are able to make it there and that your wordsmith and your pictures can do the job. That, yeah. that, that's kind of all you had to work with. Yeah. Once I can call cross-country and it's now free nights, weekends, oh, things just opened up. Now it's all daytime minutes opened up. Things just opened up. We're not worried much about, about the cost of long-distance phone calls. Things just opened up and now we have the internet so I can face-to-face you via things like Zoom. I can find all the different kinds of media in which to, to engage and interact with you so that it doesn't feel like we're distant, even though we're distant. We can share our interests and our hobbies together. It really is, I think, a, a testament to just how powerful technology plays a role in how we're able to not just interact, but also think, think about things like mating and pairing up and and. Yeah, partnering, right? Like the, these are things that are influenced heavily more and more by the ways in which we're able to interact with each other. Like I, I can imagine somebody saying, you met your wife in a bar. <laughs> I, I have a cousin, he met his wife at Mardi Gras. 
Like that's yeah. it's not going to be a story in 20 years. It'll be, I showed up to Mardi Gras and I knew my other one was uh, in Nebraska. Yeah. It's going to be a real, a real interesting shift. It's one of those things I'm curious to just see how it affects people because so one of the things that's interesting about the pandemic is it's a whole lot of long distance, everything for everybody now. Mm-hmm. I do wonder what that looks like if relationships are developed and maintained in the absence of things like the physical presence of another People are craving the touch of another, things of that sort. I, I do wonder not about the, the seriousness of the intimacy, because I think that can still be there, but it may just lack an important framework or, or an important piece for, for for maintaining a healthy relationship for a number of people. I, I, I do wonder. Yeah. So yesterday, I, I realized that I am three weeks out from one year in quarantine because I was actually sick like the week before the official COVID lockdown last March. So I'm about... Th- three weeks out from being really quarantined for a year. I'm immunocompromised, so I've been hardcore quarantined. But I have said so many times to my partner, I cannot imagine being single this last year. I I would have gone crazy. I would have been so sad and zoom just doesn't do it i mean even living with someone i i miss bars i miss restaurants i miss movies i miss festivals i miss all of those things but i can't imagine that kind of isolation that this has imposed on people without those connections If I could, I just want to go back again to the idea that this dating app, as it's depicted in the episode, is taking away the agency of people to have some control over their own romantic lives. Because I was really interested when you said, what if I'm choosing A, B, or C, and what I really want is D, E, or F? And it does seem to me that we sometimes say that our freedom is being limited when we have less choices, fewer choices. Right. And it seems to me that you could make a case that sometimes having fewer choices, if the choices are better choices, is not a limitation of your freedom at all, is in fact just the opposite. Yeah. Try that one on for size. What do you think? I, th- I, I can see where you're coming from, right? Like paralysis by analysis, what they call it. Right? Too mm. many choices makes it too difficult to make the choice. Whereas if you give me three great options, well, it might be harder to make the choice, but I know that Actually, no, I don't know. It strikes me that we should let people be free to make bad choices within reason. So if I want to choose a partner who may not be the ideal partner for me, this system does restrict your ability to do that. But I do think it does that to your benefit, right? Like, so I'm going right, to yeah. take away, think of it like a food choices, right? So if you're lactose intolerant, you like milk, but you can't have it. I'm not, I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm going to give yeah. you soy milk instead. I want whole milk. That's what... Well, that's A, B, and C. You can't have A, B, and C. I will give you D, E, and F. Turns out you like soy, soy milk's fantastic. How about it, right? So I do think there's something to be said for, I wonder, I don't know if it increases agency, but it certainly lets you maximize it in a way that's productive, right? Let me give you an example of a way that I think is obvious that your agency is not only preserved, but magnified. So what if we said every vehicle, I mean, this actually is the case, I think, with people who get convicted of DUIs, that they put that breathalyzer in their car in order to drive, right? And it's like, if what you're going to choose is very likely to end your life, we're just not giving you that option to choose. Your car is just not going to turn on 
right? Yeah. Like you can sit here all day and say, I want a job. That's really what I want to do. I want to choose it. I'm a free agent. I'm also thinking about like in school, right? There's only certain food options. You don't get to eat whatever you want. And it's because we're trying to give you healthy choices. One of them you're going to like, right? But I guess in this case, instead of them giving you healthy choices. So that's okay. So, okay. So, okay. So I'm on board with you on that framework, right? I restrict some choices that can harm you but I'm going to give you options. So you're still making choices here and you're not making unpressured choices. That makes sense to me. I'm on board. So I'm thinking about the app now and how- Because you- like, here's what we don't see in the episode is we right. don't see anyone paired up with someone else who's abusive to them. We see people where it's like, this is not really what I want or this person's kind of annoying or this person's cold or I'm not hot for this person or whatever, but we don't see it giving someone a harmful relationship, which of course, regular people choose harmful relationships all the time. Part of me wants to preserve the ability for a regular person to make a bad choice while also endorsing the fact that given a framework like this, I'd much rather live in a space where people aren't able to choose a spouse or a partner that would be able to harm. Like I, I would much rather have that curtailed where possible, but it's ah, agency such a, a meaningful option in a way. That- yeah. You seem to be kind of pushing all in on this. We should have the freedom to make bad choices. So like, I want to be, I want to be able to speed. Now mm-hmm. I, also, I need to be able to f- take whatever consequence that is, but I, I want to be able to have the freedom to go 35 and a 30. Because I might be needing to hum. That said, going 35 and a 30 has the ability to harm somebody. So I might just be leaning on that too much agency can be harmful and we need to restrict it, which is something I'm okay with doing. Theoretically speaking, I like extending agency farm wide, but practically real world speaking, people hurt each other, right? Like we need to limit the ability for each other to harm each other. I mean, like that, there, there are levels of restrictions, right? Too. I'm just seeing your example of the car. I mean, you certainly have the freedom to take calculated risks. You can speed. Your car doesn't stop accelerating at whatever the speed limit is. You can speed. There are penalties, right, for speeding, one of which may be that you do harm to yourself or someone else, or you might just get caught and somebody's going to find you and say, we told you not to do that. But you can't, for example, drive on the wrong side of the road, right? And there are even more restrictions. Like we're going to put a barrier between northbound traffic and southbound traffic. You still could do it, but we're going to make it extremely hard to make that choice. You're so earning guess, you make that call. Yeah. So I, like so I guess what I'm asking you is like, it, you can't think of any choices where the restriction should be absolute. Like no, you I, can't I, even get around it. No, we should. I'm game for restricting. I'm game for restricting agency in a number of different ways. Yeah. But at least in, in, ter- in terms of the, the dating pool, in terms of the dating and relationship space, that's one where I'm, I just balk a little bit on that. On the, but on the flip side, I think the language of calculated risk, I think, frames what I, where I want it. Like, I don't want yeah. someone to make overly risky uh, decisions that can cause harm to themselves or someone else. So we don't want you to be able to, to select an abusive partner inside the system. That's harmful to all parties, right? That's not good. But yeah, I, suppose- I think it's, it's harmful to parties that are not one of those parties, right? Because if you live in a society, as we do, where lots and lots of people are in unhealthy, unhappy, and or abusive relationships, then you have a lot of unhealthy, unhappy, and abusive people in society, right? And so, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm trying to convince myself of this, but moral intuition is to say the app, as it's presented in this episode, is a bad thing for all of the reasons that you're saying that it's a bad thing. 
But then when I think about the actual changes it would make in actual people's lives and all of the misery and unhappiness and suffering that it would eliminate or alleviate, I think, uh, do I really want to just be able to date any old asshole? <laughs> what do they call them? Fuck boys beware, right? They get yeah. marked out, right? They, 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 they wouldn't, it wouldn't get chosen. But, but actually, on the flip side, if you're in the system, you might get a bunch of those 36-hour flings with them. Yeah, so, so, you know, yeah that's think, what they do. You know, one of the interesting things I think about how the app operates is we're going to give you the necessary set of experiences required before you get your person. So it might be you need a year long-term relationships. So you know what that looks like, feels like, you know how to do it and just share that space. You might need a bunch of flings that you can know what it's like to just have those kinds of experiences free and unencumbered without worrying about anybody but yourself, right? And, and being able to enjoy yourself for once. You might need um, something in the middle. Yeah, you might need to be with a mildly annoying person to learn how to be in a relationship where the other person is almost certainly going to have some little ticks that annoy you, right? Right. So I'm inclined to go the app. It's frightening, but I'd probably sign up for it. I think I'd give it a run especially knowing now the simulation. So I wouldn't actually have to scale the wall to get about the place. I, I think I'd give it a whirl to see what they could come up with. Hey listeners, this is Dr. J. Just want to jump in here to remind you as usual that after this episode concludes, you should check out our episode notes at readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com. That's readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com. But I also just wanted to talk a little bit about the drawing to an end of this Black Mirror Reflections podcast series. This has been a lot of fun to do, but we are nearing the end of it. As a matter of fact, next week will be our final episode. We will have covered all 22 episodes of the Black Mirror series. Now, the good news is that I'm really excited to announce the launch of my next podcast, which will be called Hotel Bar Sessions, where I'll be co-hosting along with Emin Allred and Shannon Musset, a podcast that is really meant to sort of capture the intellectual curiosity and spontaneity and fun of the kinds of conversations that academics have at the hotel bar at the end of a conference day. So please go ahead and check out our website, hotelbarpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. And we're all really excited about this new venture. And so I hope that you'll go ahead and subscribe. You can already subscribe to Hotel Bar Sessions on most of your regular podcast platforms. Again, Hotel Bar Sessions will be launching on the Friday after this podcast, Black Mirror Reflections, ends so look for us to debut on March 12th. Now, back to the episode. So a big plot point in this you know, episode is this moment where Frank decides to look at the app and see how you know, long that they have and doesn't tell Amy that he does it. And the moment he looks, the time begins to rapidly diminish almost immediately. And I think that we're meant to take from that, that this kind of introduction of secrets and lies into the relationship is going to shorten it, is going to hasten its end. I think is an interesting theme that I think, I think we can see in a lot of Black Mirror episodes. It reminds me a lot of the entire history. Where you can record everything and he's yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes. Oh my God, yeah. yes. 
But this, and also be right back. I think that there's a lot of these where it's like, what are these things that I don't know about you and how damaging that is to a relationship? But another thing that's really interesting about that subplot is that it seems to suggest that for a relationship to be healthy, we can't know when it's going to die. And I do think that I agree with that about human endeavors in general. We need to not know for certain how something's going to work out in order to really put our all into it. And if we do, if we know, like, I'm going to get a C in this class, sort of no matter what I do, right, then I'm just going to do C level work. But if I don't know what I'm going to get in this class and I think all options are open, then I'm going to do different things. You're on to something there when, when you think about A, uh, the, the betrayal, right? Like the moment he goes in and breaks their handshake agreement, that is what she's mad about. Not about the time. She's like, we could work with the time if you told me on the front end. You didn't, you, you broke the promise and then you hid it from me. And now yeah. we're in a whole nother situation. I don't trust you like I could have, right? I think you're spot on that it hastens the time because relationships are built on trust. That's the foundation. That's the bedrock for whatever kind of relationship you're talking, whether romantic, business, finance, etc. Pick one, anyone. If the person you don't trust the person you're in there with, it's going to be a problem. I, I, I do think you're spot on with that. And on the flip side of that, there's something to be said for being resigned to your fate. So one thing I do think about in terms of the modern dating scene is I think that a lot of people were resigned to the idea that it's going to be a nasty struggle out there and that it's tough to do and there's nobody, no good people are available. If you, whoever you're looking for, you can't find them because they're just not <laughs> in that sort of way. It's I'm going to get a C in the class, so I'll probably just put out C work. And in some ways, it's that resigned to your fate. Whereas when you genuinely do think, we don't know how it's going to look like. This could be forever. This could be for 90 days. This could be for two weeks. This could be until we hate each other. We'll find out when we get there. I think the way you frame that, again, the, not limitless possibilities, but you're open to possibilities. If the background assumptions are the pool is limited and shallow and I won't be able to find them. Again, it's, it's the C for the C. It's not that it's not accurate. It's, it's, it is going to be tough out here. People are tough to difficult. You know, that's one thing the show, that this episode really shows is relationships are difficult, even in, with the best of intentions. And people aren't trying to you know, be malicious or at all. It can just be, you don't match, right? Like you don't share interests, hobbies, values, goals, drives. You pick, pick it, you name it. You yawn too much. You're too annoying. You know what I mean? Like what, whatever the thing is, there's a whole lot of ways relationships can be difficult, but it's, I really do think it's that background assumption of, do you think this process is going to be necessarily difficult and that there is a dearth of available options to meet, match, and grow with? Or if you think that there's a, a wide pool of available options. I, so I think the difference between my parents and I ain't got any kids, but you know, my godchildren's generation is they're going to grow up with a, a globalized understanding of being able to reach someone and grow and develop with them in a way yeah. that with my parents is Who's in the city you're in? Like, who are you running across kind of regularly and go, oh, okay, I like her. I think she's cute. No, 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 mask her. No, you want to go for a soda? Yeah, who's, a, who's your church fame? Where's your church home? There you go, right? Like, where'd you go to church at? But what neighborhood you from, right? Like, what? Yeah. You got to find a local tie to make it work. Instead of it being a local tie, it'll be a global tie. You know, what score? What do you score on Fortnite? It'll be like, that'll be how to start meeting and stuff like that. Or what Reddit forum do you like to talk on? I'm on the one that talks about anime or something like that. Or it'll be, what philosopher do you read? Because I happen to enjoy reading philosophy. And it doesn't matter if you're in France and I'm in uh, Brazil, we can still talk, right? Like, it's going to be- Yeah, a very, very I'm different. so glad you said that because I, I can totally see your kids or whatever in 20 years, people 
just say finding out at some point in their life that their match or whatever. I mean, what we haven't talked about is the presumption of this episode that monogamous relationships are the only kind of relationships, but we'll put that aside for a second. But I can imagine kids in 2040 or whatever saying at some point in your life, you get this email that says your match. She lives in Beijing and you're like, well, all for this adventure. This is just what you do. Okay. Well, I'm going to go live in Beijing. You know what I mean? Like you, you find out who that person is and okay, well, we yeah. guess we better go make life with them, right? Like they, I, presumably they know I exist now too. If I got the email, I can think they got the email. So, you know, I hope yeah. they have a phone number for the person in the email. So <laughs> I think, uh, that is a big presumption though, right? The, the idea that there's, there is one, one question I had about this handheld device here is your ultimate match. I wonder if there was a way you can like dial it, right? Like set what you're looking for in terms of what a relationship is supposed to be for you. So, oh, but I think that, but uh, I think the presumption of the episode is that you don't know what you're looking for. The algorithm knows what you're looking for. That's true. Right? And that's I right. think that is a hundred percent also the presumption of all the current existing dating apps is that, of course, they ask you a lot of questions about what you want and what you like. And they say, oh, we're going to match your likes to somebody else's likes who have the same likes. But that's not how they actually work. What they do is they glean from massive big data sets. People who say they like these things actually end up with like. They know our tendencies better than we can describe them. That might be, right. a, you know what I mean? Like we, we, we can tell you, we like red car. I like driving a red car. They'll say, well, that means you like dating this kind of person. We won't catch the second part, but they have that information because of the big data. That's. Yeah. It reminds me of this really famous story that's often used as a kind of case study in philosophy and tech classes about Target had this algorithm that basically could almost predict that a woman was pregnant before she knew she was pregnant on the basis of her purchase patterns. And so then started sending these ads to this one particular address for formula and prenatal vitamins and diapers, et cetera. And the father apparently got really pissed off about it. And it was like, why are you sending these ads to my daughter who at the time was 16 or 17 and made this big hullabaloo in the actual target store. And, you know, the manager apologized and all this stuff. And then goes home to find out that his daughter is in fact pregnant. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's pattern recognition. I mean, for as free, as we think we moral agents are, our little brains are really terrible at pattern recognition compared to machine learning systems. They call us having a lizard brain for a reason. You can catch our lizard brain a whole lot faster than we can. That's, and that's, I think that's something that this episode really kind of hammered that home in a way that I, I mentioned earlier, like the people, they'll pray to God and say the divine will bring it to me. They're appealing to the same functions that big data set AI is is doing on mm -hmm. the app, right? The mm -hmm. idea that something beyond you that knows you better than you know yourself will provide the kind of persons or persons you person to persons you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it in some ways it almost it, it just blows my mind. And it, yeah, I, I guess I'm one of the reluctant unbelievers here. That's like just how powerful that is. That there's something that can record you and record your desires. And then flip from their desires to what's actually beneficial for you. It's yeah. almost like you can tell them what you want to eat and you tell them what kind of body you have and all the, the gut bacteria you've got and, bio <laughs> and all the stuff and your whole health history. And they'll come back and tell you, okay, this is actually what you should be. And then <laughs> like, you got a list of 40 things. They might have three of them in there. It's actually, no, okay, you can keep those. 
and it'll be the three the three of the least favorite things you got. But it's a whole 37 list. This is what you actually should be eating. My secret belief, which is completely unscientific, like totally unjustifiable belief, is that sometime soon we're just going to take our gut biomes and feed them into a machine learning system. And the machines are just going to tell us where to work, who to marry, when you're going to die. Like, I just feel like we have this current obsession with both gut biomes and gut bacteria and big data algorithms. So like, we might as well just join them together. Okay, so let's talk about the ending, the weird ending to this episode, where we find out that everyone is just a simulation. And the way you explained it was different than how I took it when I saw the episode. I assumed that all of these people were simulations inside of the app itself. So this is like how the app learns, you know, is that it creates these thousands and thousands of simulations. And then I suppose IRL, real people use this app, but that it advertises itself as being 99.8% accurate. But that 99.8% accuracy is gleaned from all of these simulated relationships. Yes. Yes. That, that That's how I took it as well, right? Like the way they're able to say that it's a 99.8 is that you put all your stuff into the app. The app runs a thousand sims with you and a bunch of other people. And I guess they'll tell you how the, maybe it's a, we don't see someone who's a 50% match. I wonder what that looks like. But in this case, uh, we find someone who's 99% match. Yeah. So Uh, it's an interesting twist because it makes it not about anything that the episode was about up to that point. In that way, it reminded me of a play test where at the end, it's like a, it's a total head fake. You You watch an entire episode of what's ultimately not even a reality. So in that one, the reality is a lot more bleak than this one, which is something I, I'm pleasantly surprised to see from Black Mirror always when you come out with a smile on your face at the end of one of these. And so, yeah, it struck me that the app itself. So one question I'd had was, I wonder not who would use the handheld device inside the simulations. That's creepy to me. I don't know if I'd be talking to coach and having that thing tell me I have a, I have a set amount of time with somebody to learn about them and be with them. But I do wonder if people would use this app knowing that the amount of information you probably have to upload that profile for them to be able to run those simulations to that degree with that kind of certainty in the era of big data with tech privacy being a concern for people. I do wonder if it's if that would be a wise app to participate in. It would be like, imagine all the social media conglomerates got together and said, we're going we're gonna to do a match version using all the info. So everything you Googling, Facebooking, Twittering, Instagramming, TikToking, Redditing, WhatsApping, like pick all the things. We're going to thunk it into one spot and we're going to create a dating profile for you and find your match. I'd be nervous as fuck. That's me. I'd be very nervous. Well, I mean, I don't want to go full evil genius on you here, but what if we are the simulations right now? That is what Frank said. I remember, so Frank and Amy talking out there. Frank was like, what if we're in the simulation? And I wrote down in my notes, oh, how awfully Cartesian of him. Well done, buddy. Um, I would, if we're, in, if we're in the simulation, I'd go, well, Jesus Christ, we got to get better Sims making because I don't know how the hell they did this Trump presidency as part of the simulation. What are they trying to tell It's hilarious because my, my, my thought was exactly the opposite. This must be a simulation because how else would we have this Trump, Trump presidency if it weren't just for the like entertainment of some dude in his mom's basement? 
Right. Somebody, I wonder if it was for the entertainment or if he like accidentally elbowed the keyboard and hit like a right. shit. Cat, cat walked across the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh man, I meant to step on Bernie, but I stepped on Donald Trump. <laughs> Everybody's shaking their heads going, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, run with it. This like, is going to be great. It's a test simulation anyway. We're going to, they'll become orbs at the end when it wraps up. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll keep that up in the future one. I, you know, if we're the they're same. Like, they're like, well, since they're like, since, since we already fucked this one up, go ahead and throw in a virus. Right. <laughs> a pandemic. Just right there. Oh, shit. That's <laughs> We've already had it. You know, the wolves. Let's see who survives this. Oh. Every episode, I ask my guests the same three questions at the end. So I'm going to state these questions to you all in a row, and then you can answer them in whatever order that you want. So the first question is, what do you think that the lesson or the takeaway of Hang the DJ is? The second question is, what worries or concerns you the most about this world that we see in Hang the DJ? And then the third question is, on a scale of one to 10, with one being a kind of nightmarish dystopia and 10 being a utopia, where does this world fall? All right, go. So the big takeaway I got from this is, I I, I can't lie, I was really, I was swayed by the love story. It it really, it, the, the, call me sentimental, but it worked in telling a very, what I thought was effective detail and what it means to have relationships, which is that they endure and they're going to endure happy and sad kinds of times. And so for those of us who are interested in having relationships, particularly romantic relationships, that's got to be something we're willing to to, to take on. That's got to be part of the calculated risks. And definitely the takeaway I got from this was it's, it's a calculated risk to, to, to be in a relationship with somebody, but you have to be willing to ride those rails. Yeah. And good on Amy for leading them out too. So what worried you the most or concerned you the most about it? <sighs> There are people who end up having relationships with folks who are just not good for them. And it's not a harmful relationship, but it's a reminder of the kinds of, oh, well, they do this and I don't do that, right? Or this is the kind of life they're living. This is not the kind of life I want to live. And it struck me that it's putting the expiration dates on the relationships inside of the algorithm seemed like a way to, I don't know, like I'd be nervous if that kind of algorithm from inside the app ended up becoming an app itself where mm. you need to run a hundred different versions of dating in this world or with this person. And if it works out really well, most of the time, guess what? You should keep doing in real time. Something like that. I, I don't know that something about this app has me troubled. I like the idea of it and I like what it could do, but there's something about that technology where I'm going to limit how long you're around someone to get to know somebody. Ah. I don't know. What if you had, okay, so I'm sorry, I'm interrupting your answering the three questions, but like, what if you had this app for your friends? So when you meet people in your life and you're like, we're really getting on, we're friends, but I want to know if this is my lifelong, like this is my ride or die person. Would you check it on your friends? Would you check it and be like, like, this person is my friend, but we're going to be friends for until I retire. And then we're going to. I wouldn't want to do it. I think you're right. When you said earlier, you put more in when you don't know when it's going to go. Right. Yeah, or or, yeah. or more, perhaps more perhaps differently, you value it in a different way when you don't know when it's going to go. I've been very fortunate. I've got some of the best friends I've had since, since grade school and uh, middle and high school. I would not want to open up the clock and see, all right, well, around age 48, wrapping up. 
if that happens and that's the experience I'd want to end up running into. Maybe that's the concern more broadly I've got here is when you got the clock put on you, I'm not sure if I like the framework that's put on that because- Did you like that? You like the messiness of human life, don't you? I don't want us to all be messy all the time, but it's important for us to be able to have experiences that we don't have total control over. Look, I can't flap my arms and fly. I can flap my arms all I want to, right? Like I don't have total Mm. control over the environment that I'm living in, but I do have some control over what kinds of choices I want to make and what kinds of people I want to be with. I don't know. I'm squeamish on letting tech tell me, okay, I got to break up with this person or I got to leave this person. I'd be like, what the hell, tech? Like, you know, I love her. I love her. Like, what do you tell me that tech? Like, it's not. But even if the tech could be right, I'm not sure I want the tech to have that kind of power over me, such that I'm like, oh, I guess I got to break up with you because the machine said so. Yeah. Okay. And- on a scale scale of one to ten, dystopia is the low end. Utopia is the high end. As much as I have all these concerns about how it would work out, I'm inclined to think, oh God. If everything works out smoothly, it's like like a seven. I think it improves everything. That said, if someone were to get a hold of this stuff, it would ruin human relationships in a way I'm not sure we would come back from. That concern makes me go like a two. But so I guess average it out like a five or a six, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's like five or a six. It'd be cool if we had it. I'd be nervous as hell if we did, though. Yeah, I feel but you. It would be pretty cool. Someone, that, that couple at the end said, I found my forever person. Hey, I think for all of us who are interested in finding someone or someone's, hey, there's nothing like being able to find who you're going to be around with for a while, right? So that, that again, that's, this episode really kind of uh, nailed that home for me. That it's Whether it's one to 10 on the scale, you got to make sure you're ready to ride the rail. There we go. Well, John, first of all, thanks again for all the good work that you're doing in philosophy, but also for having this conversation with me today. I guarantee you that if somebody gave me a chance to see how long you and I would be friends, I would not look. Because I love having you as a friend. You damn right. I'm not trying to end up saying, that thing told me two days. I'm throwing it in the water like Amy did. We off this machine broke. This machine broke. I- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Black Mirror Reflections. Check us out and please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your regular podcasts.